This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Jeffrey Sattler, who is a system medical informatics physician and hospitalist at St. Luke's Health System. Dr. Sattler, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for asking me to join today, Laura. It's good to be here. Now, I know we've got a lot to talk about and so much, especially in the healthcare environment and industry is changing and technology is a really exciting part of that. But before we dive into my questions, can you tell me just a little bit more about yourself and your background? Absolutely. Uh, my entrance in the healthcare uh, occurred as a pharmacy student back in college. And so I actually have pharmacy degrees before medical degrees. So I worked in a pharmacy in the long-term care environment. Uh, in the early 90s as I was attending St. Louis College of Pharmacy, obtained my BS and my PharmD there, uh, subsequently went on to medical school at uh, now the Kansas City University of um, Kansas City University College of Osteopathic Medicine, and formerly at that time known as UHS, or University of Health Sciences College of Osteopathic Medicine, and then went on to do my internal medicine training uh, at KU and uh, practiced traditional internal medicine for the first eight and a half, nine years of my career, uh, seeing patients in the office, uh, seeing patients in the hospital, taking care of ICU patients. That initial practice was in an outline area about 40 miles outside of downtown Kansas City on the Missouri side. It was a critical access hospital, and I was the only internal medicine physician in that county. And so uh, I worked with family practice colleagues, and uh, I was asked to be the anchorman at the hospital and kind of develop a hospitalist model, if you will, there in the outline area to make sure that primary care physicians who did not want to see their patients in the hospital because their clinics were not necessarily right there in the same town as the hospital. They could be driving 30 or 40 minutes from their clinic to the hospital because we took care of the whole county. They may not want to do that or may not have seen that as a uh, good use of their time. They may want to stick to the clinic and, and focus on seeing patients there. I would take care of their hospital patients. Uh, we did have primary care physicians who would still see their own patients because they were right there at the same city as you know where the hospital was, or they were just 15 minutes away. Um, and that eventually did transition some. If they were on vacation, you know, the hospital's program would cover for them, et cetera. And so we developed the hospital's program and focused on quality, uh, focused on using the uh, the abilities of that hospital, which included ICU care, it was a small ICU, but it was there. We kept it open. Uh, we did have skilled care or swing bed as well, and then your acute care. So we kind of worked through all those phases with that particular system that I was involved in. And then in late 2014, I uh, transitioned to hospital medicine. Uh, it was a situation that was not easy for me, uh, not easy for lots of my traditional internal medicine colleagues who were practicing both ambulatory and hospital medicine to pick one or the other. Uh, but the time came for me in late 2014 to make that decision, primarily driven out of uh, a professional uh, family life balance. Uh, I was working too much, frankly, and four kids and you know, wife, and just came down to the fact that I did not want to be another example of a physician who worked too much and died younger than they should have because of what they did as a profession. Practice what you preach, you know, those kinds of things. And so I made the transition to hospital medicine with the St. Luke's Health System. I've been there uh, since late 2014. Um, I've had technology and informatics exposure from med school to residency, uh, even in pharmacy back in the day, through uh, my initial practice years in traditional internal medicine, uh, dealing with transitions from paper records to electronic records. That was the big, like, you know, aha moment, you know, back in 2009, 2010, 2011. 
and then also dealing with how do we develop standards for a nationwide enterprise that has clinics all over the place for clinical documentation, for workflow, for what we expect in the medical record, for what should be there, for what shouldn't be there, for what comes in from the hospital system, what, you know, how does that workflow look? Um, was also involved even before that in vendor selection for electronic medical records on the ambulatory side because it was going to be a different system than the hospital-based system uh, back when I was employed uh, through that enterprise. Uh, and then fast-forwarding to my St. Luke's time, it's been wonderful. I'm still obviously with St. Luke's. Uh, got to get exposure to Epic. Uh, I've been exposed to, I think, every ambulatory and inpatient EHR that has been available in the U.S. over the last 20 years, I have seen and worked in about 80% of them. So I've used about 80% of them clinically. So I got exposed to Epic, which I had not had any exposure to before. And uh, that has been wonderful. And I uh, got to develop my technology and informatics uh, background and experience further and was able to collect enough experience hours to go through the professional pathway through the American Board of Preventive Medicine and uh, sat for clinical informatics boards in October of 2021 and passed those boards. And I am the only clinical informatics board certified physician in our health system. Uh, so duly board in internal medicine and uh, clinical informatics with my pharmacy background. People look at me and they go, why did you take that path? And I said, well, sometimes, you know, you just take the path that works for you. So, or, you know, as Robert Frost said, to paraphrase, you know, I rode to Virgin the Wood and I took the last, the one that was least traveled by and it made all the difference. And so um, I've always been unique in that way, uh, not typically followed a mold or, you know, traditional path for professional things. Uh, doesn't mean that I don't have experience and contributions. Uh, just means that I'm a little bit different with my background and my experiences in terms of those things. So right now um, I function as a hospitalist. I still do clinical work. And then I do have a system role as a system medical informatics physician. Uh, looking across ambulatory and inpatient spaces, working closely with our chief medical informatics officer um, and others, uh, still heavily involved in the hospital medicine division. Uh, we have technology committees there and things that we do in hospital medicine that the other divisions within our within our employed physician group do not do. Uh, we are a leader in that regard. We will often test things out and then share it with cardiology and neurology and other employed areas and try to get the physician enterprise to uptake some of the stuff that we're doing. Sometimes we can do it a little faster than the bigger system because the bigger system tends to be a little slower. Uh, most recently, though, I've been working on system level projects as well, dealing with uh, throughput, redesigning uh, sepsis in the ED in terms of sepsis screening, uh, looking at our evidence-based order sets and trying to make those as dynamic and uh, useful for the frontline clinicians with uh, really uh, patient-focused details that auto-feed into that order set to help the clinician pick the right plan for the patient at the time that they're seeing them and uh, really focus on disease-specific order sets and tracking those and tracking outcomes associated with those. It's been a big part of things too. So lots of different things I'm doing. Uh, I'm also involved in telehealth or telemedicine. Hospital medicine has actually done that since 2013. And so um, we actually were doing it before the insurances were paying for the professional fee because at the outline hospitals at night, it didn't make sense to have somebody in-house, but we could have somebody remotely cover multiple smaller hospitals, get the patient seen, get the orders in, and that actually reduced length of stay. So if you shave, you know, a tenth or two-tenths length of stay off, or if your radiology department or other department knows at 6 a.m. how many 
CT scans, echoes, other things you have at a smaller hospital, that's a huge win versus waiting if that patient's not seen um, after 6 p.m. or between 6 p.m. and 6 a.m., waiting for all those orders to happen the next day and trying to figure that out. We actually reduced length of stay. That more than paid for the uh, physicians to see the patients. And uh, the system was very innovative at that point because they were not interested in the professional fee because we weren't getting paid for it. Well, now we get the professional fee. And uh, we use telemedicine to supplement all kinds of things uh, during the pandemic and even post-pandemic. We use it for staffing crunches and you know, when uh, partners are having lots of admissions at one place, sometimes we'll send out, you know, an all page and folks will get on telemedicine and try to help out. You know, they don't have to drive in physically to the hospital. And, you know, they may be 30 minutes away. They could be five minutes away. They could be an hour away. But on telemedicine, as long as I have Missouri and Kansas licenses operating around the Kansas City area, which is a bi-state area, I can be sitting at home in Missouri, see a patient in rural Kansas and get them taken care of without having to uh, do anything but uh, have the appropriate technology set up. So we really believe firmly that using technology that's natively designed in the 21st century, as well as optimizing things that um, are ongoing, whether it's electronic medical record or healthcare operations, et cetera, is one of the key ways to have better outcomes at less cost, or at least same cost going forward. We ideally try to reduce it because we spend too much money as a healthcare system taking care of patients and we don't have the best quality. So hopefully I wasn't too long-winded there. No, that was fantastic. And it's just so fascinating to hear about your journey as a healthcare professional from the pharmacy side into the being a doctor, internal medicine physician, then hospitalist, and in, into the informatics side as well. I can imagine that there's always something new and interesting that is coming across as healthcare evolves and, and really, uh, you know, looking for ways to better care for communities and better care for patients. And I think it's fascinating to hear, too, you talk about how telehealth and the use of virtual care and telehealth has really evolved for you, um, both, you know, with the Academic Medical Center and then with the, um, you know, caring for some of the rural communities and in, in hospitals as well. I think that's something that certainly a lot of organizations are trying to figure out how to do better and really kind of capitalize on. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Now, I know um, in terms of where we're at today in healthcare, there's a lot of ramifications still from the COVID-19 pandemic happening. A lot of uh, clinical issues and patients um, are coming in, you know, with, with challenges. And then, too, you know, looking at where things are for healthcare organizations um, operationally and financially, you know, technology is bringing some new opportunities, too. So could you talk a little bit about some of the things that you are seeing as being opportunities as well as the headwinds you have your eye on and um, how that's playing out for you at St. Luke's? Sure. Um, I'll start with the opportunities and then get the headwinds. So I guess take the positive first, so to speak. So there are many opportunities and I would um, suggest and I firmly believe that technology is here to stay. The telehealth video visits, whether it's uh, patients at home, uh, patients in the hospital, patients anywhere, providers almost anywhere within legal ramifications, it's here to stay because I think it has proven its worth, not only from a, uh, we can get the patient seen and do a quality job, but also the patient as a center of the system, but also as a consumer, finds that, you know what? They always tell me to be 30 minutes early for my appointment, but they're always running 30 minutes late. And it takes me 30 minutes to get to my appointment. So that's an hour and a half that, that I have to give up of my day just to go to an appointment. 
Never mind if the appointment is actually running on time or not, the checkout process and all of those other things that happen. And certainly some clinics and ambulatory centers do better at uh, flow and throughput, but there's challenges. We always expect the patient to be early and we always think that we are gonna be running on time. And we all know the percentage of patients that are seen within a few minutes of their appointment time is not always the greatest. And the patient's the one that's sitting there waiting. You know, we're busy as providers and as healthcare professionals. We're running around trying to do our best. There's unplanned things that always come up, et cetera. But there's still a patient there who's waiting on us. And they respect that. You know, they'll wait. You know, we always have to try to apologize or, you know, what have you. I've been in those situations. But I think with technology, a couple of things. One, you cut out the windshield time or the downtime for the patient, but also potentially for the healthcare professional. They could be in one location and they may see patients physically in the office, but they may block off some time to do some consults for an outlying hospital or an outreach clinic. They may go there at a certain cadence, maybe once a month, but maybe every other week they're doing video visits so that outlying clinic actually has two clinic days a month instead of one for something like advanced heart failure, transplant, or what have you. Uh, there are ways to utilize this uh, for better quality. You know, to be able to ask a patient, well, what do you have in your cabinet at home to eat for those diabetic or heart failure patients or other patients where we really care about their diet? The patient may be thinking, I'm doing the best I can on my sodium. Sure, you tell me two or three grams. Yeah, I'm there. But you look in their cabinet, you know they're not. Whether it's sodium or whether it's glucose or what have you. Sometimes there's financial situations that we don't understand. They're eating what's left over after everybody else is eating. Or maybe there's just not the proper balance of foods uh, that are available if they just reorganized what they would buy based on their habits, based on their culture, based on their religious beliefs, based on what they can tolerate, all of those kinds of things. Things that we often don't have time to discuss in detail uh, in the office or you know, in a, a brick and mortar visit. So you kind of get some of that and you can get a feel for uh, what their home environment is like and, and those kinds of things. You can ask patients maybe a little bit more about, oh, I see you have a, have a cat behind you, you know, do you have more than one cat? You know, you can figure out about their companionship or, you know, some other things that you wouldn't have a window into just sitting there in the office or in the traditional clinic environment or even in the hospital environment. So I think that those are huge opportunities uh, in terms of telehealth. Secondly, I think that optimization of current electronic medical records and healthcare operations is vital to being able to finally get to some 21st century processes and utilize technology for really what we need it for. You know, Moore's Law is the classic technology of every 18 months, speed doubles, price stays the same. And we've, you know, technology industry has beaten Moore's Law in the hardware realm at times. But what we haven't done a good job of is translating those advances into healthcare operations, into electronic medical records, into other things, into things that we've been doing for decades and decades and decades that we still do the same way we did in 1980 or 1990 or even 2000. You know, if there's a process that hasn't been looked at since before the pandemic, that's a problem. And I know folks are pushed for resources post-pandemic. We still don't know what's going on. You know, reimbursement is changing. There's CMS payment cuts. There's no longer as many patients getting the 20% COVID uh, supplemental reimbursement. You know, on the inpatient side, it can be very challenging financially to keep that where it needs to be. 
You have to have a lot of sometimes outpatient ambulatory revenue to make up for the inpatient losses. But if you're not looking at efficiency and really effectiveness, optimization-wise, you're missing part of the boat. If, you, if you're able to allocate some resources to that, it doesn't matter which vendors you use. Just look at it, you know, and people process technology is what most of healthcare is all about. The technology is rapidly evolving. We have more options than we ever have. But a lot of times what I find is it's not the technology that's the rate limiting step. It's the people in the process. It's the basic change management. It's the basic behavioral changes. It's taking the time to get to those frontline folks and be at their elbow and be there with them and ask them about, well, have you looked at any different ways of doing this recently? Well, I don't have time. I, you know, I was trained on this six years ago and I still do it the same way. Well, in six years, there's a lot of different ways of workflows in the Epic EHR or any other EHR to do things. And they're missing out on some efficiencies and some standardization of, you know, across a certain role, whether it's uh, bedside nurse, whether it's care progression, whether it's social work, whether it's hospitalist, whether it's ER doc, et cetera, consultants. You know, we have many more ways to do things in the electronic medical record, but folks still typically get stuck in their previous patterns. We're all humans. We all have, you know, habits, good, bad, or indifferent. But if we're able to optimize those a little bit at a time with the right input and the right person doing that input, huge benefits on not only efficiency, but just overall happiness and clinician burnout and engagement and frontline, you know, folks as well. Uh, you know, that's huge. And I think that that is a big opportunity. You can't always calculate a return on investment very easily, but it's there. Uh, trust me, it's there. Um, so that's the opportunity part of things. Um, in terms of headwinds, uh, I mentioned about reimbursement issues. You know, you know, CMS obviously has a cut. The uh, Medicare supplements, the uh, third-party payers, commercial payers are always looking for more for the same amount or less money. They're looking at outcomes now. Um, it's not enough to just see the patient and uh, do a fee for service. This is about value and quality. And it's very difficult for organizations that have been very heavily reliant on the transactional fee for service, whether it's how they uh, look at things financially, how they pay perhaps healthcare providers, how they budget to get to, well, that's not enough. We need to provide value and quality and all of those kinds of things. And so you really have to rework the um, operations, whether it's clinic, mostly in this case, or even ERs or other places. You know, you can't just run people through as quick as you can, hope you don't miss anything and think you're doing a good job. You know, it doesn't matter uh, about that part because that's not going to set us up for a good outcome. We know when we're literally professionally drinking out of the fire hydrant all day long that we just get beat up and we're going to make mistakes. So how do we channel some of those? How do we offload some of that? Well, part of it's optimization and cognitive burden on the people using the systems we have to use to see patients. You know, we still have a lot of frontline healthcare professionals all across the spectrum who aren't necessarily technology experts, but they're being asked to use technology at at least a moderate level on every single patient. And if it's not their strength, 
they're grinning and bearing it, but as you add more and more to that pile, it puts more and more stress on them. So, you know, really looking at even that, even some basic things with that. I think those are also uh, headwinds, but also can be an opportunity. You know, there's a, there's a both sides of the coin, so to speak, uh, in terms of that. Other headwinds, I, I would say, would also have to revolve around patient expectations, patient experience. A lot of focus on that, and we try to think of that as a positive thing that we're doing. But it can be challenging to fully understand what the patient needs. And if we are as overloaded as we are from a capacity standpoint or from a staffing standpoint or whatever, you don't have the time to delve into the barriers that the patient may have to either taking their medicine or affording their medicine. Or, you know, sometimes it's just as simple as stopping for a minute and saying, well, we've been working at this for 18 months. Why haven't we been able to make an improvement on your blood sugars? This is not making sense. Well, doc, I don't eat that much. Well, you may not eat that much, but tell me about the foods that you are eating. Because I may be able to adjust your insulin or your other diabetic medications, but if you're not eating the right combination of foods, it may not make any difference. We're spending all this money on the pharmaceutical side when we need to focus on lifestyle modification, nutrition, diet and exercise, and non-pharmacologic therapies. So, you know, having that comprehensive review, even with direct patient care, can be challenging, never mind a comprehensive review of how we operate the healthcare system. And so I think that those are some of the things that uh, both we have opportunities for and that we're struggling with. And I would say overall, the biggest challenge is finances, because in this country, in the U.S., we're spending way too much on healthcare for what we're getting in terms of quality outcomes. We know this when we compare ourselves to the world, but yet we keep spending more and more money. We haven't changed the system, whether it's the governmental side, third-party payers are trying, but you know, there's a lot that needs to be done to make the healthcare system sustainable through my children's lives and through my future grandchildren's lives, because we can't keep going the way we're going. There's just not enough financial resources. You can't keep borrowing the money or printing the money as a, as a country to make this work. Absolutely. I think all of those are really great points. And I know issues that a lot of uh, leaders and executives of organizations across the country are uh, challenged with, whether it's kind of the capacity of the change management with technology and then to the financial side of things. And speaking of, you know, the, the financial aspect of it, I can imagine that, you know, it, it's uh, every healthcare dollar is precious. And so, how are you thinking about growth and development as well as adding value to the organization going forward? Yeah, that's a great question. It actually ties into what we were just talking about. And so um, in our health system in uh, 2022, we launched a um, what we call hospital in your home or hospital at home program. So that was a way to provide uh, hospital level services in a patient's home for patients who don't need telemetry, who maybe need IV medications, basic monitoring, um, you know, they don't need advanced procedures, obviously, those kinds of things. We have a lot of those patients that are in our medical surgical units with cellulitis, with basic heart failure exacerbations, with COPD exacerbations, with other things. And we discovered, we launched our hospital um, in your home program, that we're able to take care of those patients at home. And we're able to uh, work with third-party payers and contractual and all that. It was a whole system effort. You know, it took a lot, a lot of effort. We went live in July of 2022, and in early 2023, we expanded 
to uh, additional campuses. So we have three campuses on the Missouri side. We're not yet um, approved in Kansas for Hospital in Your Home uh, to provide those services, but we've had to navigate some board of pharmacy issues with the state of Missouri and the state of Kansas. Where do these patients' medications come from if it's a controlled substance? Can we send it from the hospital pharmacy or does it have to go to an outpatient pharmacy? Well, Missouri, they let us finally send it to a hospital pharmacy just like we would for other inpatients. Kansas is still trying to decide, you know, and so we're tracking outcomes with that. We're tracking, you know, the patients uh, I've been involved. It's in their use of telehealth and, you know, we have clinicians uh, nursing staff, paramedics, nurse practitioners that go out to the patient's home in person. And we have a cadence that that happens on. But we also have telehealth visits with the physicians routinely and as needed if patients decompensate 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, just like we do for other patients in the hospital to take care of them. And we found that patients really, really uh, enjoy being at home. There are a few restrictions for them. You know, they, they can't go out and drive. They can't go to the grocery store. They have to be home. Just like if they're in a hospital room, you can't, you know, thankfully with all the video technology, church can come to you now, right? People can come see you at home instead of seeing you in the hospital. You can eat some of your own food instead of the hospital food. You know, you're in your own bed. You know, you don't have the beeping of the call light system and the maybe the, the patient across the hallway who's having an acute problem and, you know, all those other things. There's many, many benefits uh, as well, but really excited about that part of things. And the other thing that we're uh, looking at is remote patient monitoring. So for both chronic disease uh, states from a population health standpoint and primary care and other specialties that follow patients long-term, but also as a transition of care out of the hospital. So I think everybody's acutely aware that leaving the hospital and, you know, medically being ready and socially being ready and all of those kinds of things, we try to put a lot of energy into because the last thing the patient wants to do is have to come back anytime soon. It's the last thing we want for the patient as well. But when that patient goes home, unless they've really have a good plan in place and understand what's going on with their own disease state, their medications, what they're supposed to do and all that, they may do all right short-term, maybe for the first week or so. They might get through their first follow-up appointment, all right, but they may not. They may go home and start, unfortunately, going back to some of the bad habits they had before, or whether that's you know nutrition, whether it's lifestyle, whether that's substances, alcohol, you know, tobacco, what have you. Uh, all those things make a difference. And so we actually did something with COVID uh, where we utilized some uh, epic tools, but also uh, systematic tools where we would send patients home and have them fill out electronic questionnaires through the patient portal. And those questionnaires were based on how sick they were and how they were feeling. And we had certain triggers in there that would tell us, well, the patient's getting worse. They filled out their questionnaire. This goes to a virtual nurse and to a call center nurse, call them and see, you know, they're, they're having more trouble breathing or they're having chest pain or what have you. We found that to be very helpful with COVID. Uh, we got patients out of the hospital a little sooner. They could participate in this program. They had a pulse oximeter. They had a thermometer. They had uh, electronic means to communicate with us. They had a way to get to the patient portal and do the questionnaire. They had a virtual visit follow-up within a few days of being released from the hospital. And then they had their traditional follow-up, you know, as they would need it. And so we found that to be helpful. But now we're looking at doing that as a transition of care for heart failure patients and COPD patients and, and other patients. And then tying that into our chronic disease state management or a longer term management as well in terms of population health and remote patient monitoring, those kinds of things. So that's one thing I'm really excited about. Matter of fact, I just had a meeting uh, right before uh, Laura, uh, we got together and joined today about that with our chief digital officer and some project management folks with how we can leverage technology to even uh, help us with that and stay better connected to our patients and monitor them more closely as they transition out of the hospital 
to try to do the absolute best that we can in 2023 to avoid those urgent care visits and those ER visits and those readmissions because no one wants to see that for the patients and the patients don't want to go through either. So um, that I would say is, is something that we're really looking at. There's a little bit of risk certainly there, but there's plenty of third-party payers that are willing to reimburse for those services. And it's just a matter of harnessing that for the good of the patient, but it's really a, a, a win all around if, if it's done correctly. Absolutely. I think that's a great point and what fantastic results in terms of, you know, thinking through what's going to make a difference for patients, how you can work with them almost in real time as, as they're filling out these surveys and uh, giving you feedback to nip the issue as soon as possible versus within visits later at a later time. So that's amazing to hear. Now, before we wrap up our conversation, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about whether there are either additional risk or, or investments that you think are worth making this year? Yeah, so a couple other things that we're doing is uh, patient experience based. Uh, we are using tablet devices, uh, in our case, iPads, to allow the patients to have a version of the patient portal while they're in the hospital so they can communicate with the care team. The patient may think of a question at nine o'clock at night when they forget to write it down, but they could just send a message to the care team, whether it's their nurse, whether it's the rounding uh, APP or physician and say, uh, oh, I forgot to ask you, when I go home, uh, what do I need to do with this particular medicine? That would be one example. Uh, they can stay connected to the care team, all the people walk in and out. You know, right now, there a lot of places have the wipe on, wipe off boards of, of uh, what the goals are for today and who's taking care of you and all that. I always make sure my name is on that wipe on, wipe off board uh, every single time uh, with the patients uh, as I'm going through the hospital, because I, I may be seeing somebody for the first time that my partner met it yesterday. I may be taking over a list that uh, some of my partners had seen previously, but I want my name up there so they can correlate, hey, you know, Dr. Sattler's helping take care of me. Well, it's even better if you've got that information electronically so you know, well, the cardiologist who came in today is Dr. Jones, but the one that came in yesterday before Dr. Jones was actually Dr. Redding, you know. Um, and I remember Dr. Redding said something, but now I can't remember, so I need to ask Dr. Jones tomorrow, whatever, you know, what I need to do. And they can communicate those messages and, and we would address them the next day, you know, just have a list of, of what can address. So I'm really excited about some of the patient experience stuff that we're doing there. I think it helps connect patients to the more complex system because I've recently had to navigate some, some things with my parents who are in their late 70s. And I've been frustrated even by trying to help them navigate some of the healthcare system. And I've got plenty of healthcare experience. I know how this should work and we're still having trouble. I mean, you know, you want to talk about patient experience and how much problems patients have, that's part of it. I think another thing is uh, transparent pricing. Anything that we can do to let patients know what they can expect, whether it's a screening colonoscopy, uh, which may not have any cost depending on your insurance, or whether it's a diagnostic colonoscopy, or whether it's just a simple chest X-ray to check something. So patients know what their out-of-pocket is going to be. And I think also uh, to align with that is cost estimates for prescriptions uh, within the EHR so that providers know when I'm prescribing a blood thinner, what the cost is going to be to the patient. I don't have to tell care progression to do it or a social worker. I don't have to call the pharmacy. Here's the estimate. Then you can have a discussion with them. I really need you to be on this medication, but it's $50 a month. Is that something that is affordable for you? And then look at it. If it's not, then, you know, look at other options or discount cards or other programs that, you know, we can get folks in to try to help out with that needed medication. I just use anticoagulation as an example, but there's plenty of other examples. And so I think those are two things to try to help out with those uh, types of things. Um, I think patient experience, 
trying to bring that 21st century technology respectfully and uh, carefully or thoughtfully into the patient experience is going to help us because we experience it other places. You go through the airport, it's not the same screening we did in 1990. We hold our arms up, we wait for five seconds, we walk through, take our belt and our shoes off. We're not doing the same screen. But in the hospital, the call light system, <laughs> the bed alarm, and some of the other things are the same technology. Matter of fact, we were trying to upgrade something that had to do with nursing staff and some of the devices they use. And the rate limiting step was the call light technology. Not anything else. It's the call light technology that needed to be uh, upgraded, integrated, and uh, we had to look at switching vendors because current vendor wasn't able to, to meet our needs over call light, something that we have to have. There's also only certain TVs we can have in patient rooms because they have to interact with that, that call light system for volume. Well, I mean, we've got the technology to change this stuff. So we've got we've to think about those things, or at least push for solutions in those areas. And I think another thing is that remote patient monitoring, just to come back to one more thing. I, I think that that is huge. I think that there are technology, um, if you will, brick and mortar stores like Best Buy that are getting into that space that can really help out with their, you know, to use Best Buy's example, Geek Squad. What does Geek Squad do? They educate you about your tech. Well, what would be great if you had somebody like that educating patients on the remote technology so they understood why they have all this fancy equipment? Because again, you don't, you can give it to them and maybe it's covered underneath a grant or maybe it's covered underneath an initial, you know, cost overlay that's covered by their insurance. But if they don't use it appropriately, it doesn't matter. We're not getting what we need. And so, you know, those kinds of things that I think are uh, really uh, getting to 21st century patient experience, but also flipping it back to optimization and, and what the frontline workers, uh, including physicians and APPs and everybody who touches healthcare, what we all go through and how we can streamline things there too, because that makes a big difference. Absolutely. I think that's a really great point and just fascinating to see how that technology is really boosting uh, operations at the health system and making a difference in how you're connecting with the community and being able to coordinate care. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today, Dr. Sattler. This has been a really fun conversation and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Absolutely. It's great to be with you, Laura, and I uh, hope everybody has a great uh, rest of their day.